0: 20. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon, and tonight we present a discussion on a review of "Broth from the Cauldron" by Kerwin Kerwin Star who will join us in the discussion of her book. Kerwin is a neo-Pagan witch who writes historical novels based on her past lives. She lectures and teaches on shamanic magic, spiritual development, and ecological philosophy. She has joined us in Feriferian rituals and is a leader in the Northern California pagan scene. Brought from the cauldron is somewhat autobiographical, with most chapters recounting personal experiences, which are almost parables, describing the lessons her life's adventures have taught her from her childhood to maturity, living and practicing her craft. So, if you would like to spend an hour with the wisest of the witches, join us and sip the broth from the cauldron. Lady Caridwin, are you with us?
1: Hey, Poke, here I am. It's Caridwin. Oh. Happy to be. With oh, you.
0: that's great. And, uh, but before we get going go on, on this, I want to I want to uh, tell uh, all of our listeners how how very very much I have enjoyed this book. I mean and uh, it, it we have you and i have had so many similar experiences from scuba diving to uh the hiking uh, and, and and adventures with animals <laughs> rattlesnakes and raccoons and and all of the I, I this this is just an absolutely delightful book and and i i have it I, I, I you know once i got into it i couldn't put it down it's just delightful and and uh And uh, I I want to recommend it to everybody. Uh, Have you got it? Is it available? Is it available now?
1: Uh, It is coming out May twelfth. It is being put out by She Writes Press is the uh, publishing company. It'll be available as of the twelfth. Both from um, you can get hard copies, or you can also um, get online reading copies. And so you can pre-order right now from Amazon and then they will you will be among the first to receive it when it to, when it comes out.
0: Well, that we're really looking forward to it. Uh so let's uh you know, we we uh we shared a kind of an outline here of questions and so uh so we'll we'll get started on this and I, I, the you uh, uh, Coridwin uh, Falling star is a very is a very interesting name uh how, how did you uh how did you come with that come by that name
1: uh, well when I first got involved in uh, in magic and uh, Wicca, I was told that people generally picked a magical name or or a magical name picked them and so my very first summer solstice out in Coyden which is was some pagan owned land in northern california i uh, I kept hearing the name Keridwen in my head. I knew it was a goddess, but I didn't know much else about her. And so I started asking some of my elders, and they said, oh, she's a pig goddess. And I was like, oh, a pig goddess. Well, (laughs) and I thought, well, maybe I can get behind beneficial greed here. That might be okay uh, to be with a pig goddess. But, of course, when I researched her, I found out she was quite a bit more than that, that she was, in fact, the goddess of the cauldron uh, from which all poets and artists had to drink in order to be inspired that her cauldron also uh, held the power of birth and death and rebirth and so that uh, it was, she was actually very suitable uh, for someone like myself who was going to be dealing uh, with transformation during that now, thing, this, is little, this is um, celtic tradition. Uh, right. oh, no, no, celtic just, just just so just
0: celtic just in case, in case there's somebody out there who who doesn't realize that it's celtic I'm sure most of us do but but I just wanted to mention yes, that. Yes. Uh
1: excellent. Uh, well,
0: uh, now uh <laughs> You know, uh, how does somebody like, like you uh, who grew up in a conservative agnostic household get involved in Wicca and witchcraft?
1: Well, it was definitely a bit of a swerve, um, but I was working as a journalist at the time, and uh, my editor walked in the room and said, there's a witch on trial for fortune-telling, and I, I raised my hand and said, "Ooh, I'll take that story. Uh, so that's... Uh, What I'd ended up was I I went to this uh, trial of a witch who was on trial for fortune-telling in 1975 of all time. And uh, by the end of the trial, I was completely intrigued about this modern version of witchcraft. I didn't realize uh, that there was still a modern version. And so that's uh, that's how I initially got involved. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, how did your family react to you becoming a witch?
1: Well, I was surprised that they weren't a little more... Uh, Tweaked out about it. Um, uh, There's a chapter in my book, uh, Brought from the Cauldron, that talks about my father uh, witnessing me doing a a solitary ritual under the full moon during a a family camping trip, uh, during which a bear walked out of the woods and made a full circle around uh, the circle that I had drawn and then walked off in the other direction. So when my father saw me after that, he, he, he kind of grudgingly said, Well, pretty good trick with the bear. And uh, I could see that he was a little intrigued in spite of himself, but the fact is, my family had gone camping the whole time I was growing up. you know that we we traveled all across the country and were always out in nature and My father used to say, "Why would anybody go to church when they could go out in the woods?" and I kind of say, "Yeah why why would they? <laughs> the woods really seemed pretty good so and and then, when we moved to upstate New York uh, at one point, all the kids were coming up to me saying, "What church did my family go to?" And I went home I said, all the kids want to know what church we go to. My father said, "Tell them we're pagans, honey. Tell them we worship the trees." <laughs> so, I would yeah. have to say that in some ways, the apple did not fall so far from the tree.
0: Yeah, that that makes a good story in the book too. That that that's one of your, one of your adventures that you recount in the book about the bear and the circle. And and uh, right.
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, now, uh, why do, why did you say that skeptics make the best witches? <sighs>
1: Well, I think that um, that really witches are kind of the shamans. The shamans are basically the scientists of the sacred. And as a witch, you know, we're very curious. Science says that we don't know what about 50 or 60% of the brain is for. We're very, very interested in that 50%. What, what else can we do? What else could humans do with our consciousness? So if you're exploring consciousness like that in sort of a, um, as a, As an explorer, as someone who's very curious, that is something in which skepticism is going to help you because you want to be using your critical thinking, which is generally keep a diary that is usually referred to as a book of shadows in which you track the results of your experiments in ritual, herbalism, whatever it is that you're studying, so that you can try and get to the best results. So it is a tradition that... um, it appeals to people uh, of intellect and people of, of a curious nature. It is very short on dogma and very long on experience. I always say, you know, I've been a teacher for many years, and I would say teaching witches is like herding cats. You know, they, they tend to be very independent-minded uh, rather than followers. But um, that's something that I enjoy. What I enjoy about it and about any form of paganism, as you may also enjoy, is that I don't have to give up my intelligence to have a spiritual tradition That these things can work in harmony Yeah uh,
0: Well, you know uh, uh, Easter, Halloween, Christmas Are all originally pagan And uh, <laughs> can you explain the, uh, the roots of these celebrations And how, how are they different And how are they the same
1: Well, um, you know Certainly most of the, uh, the the holidays That we celebrate in our culture Were pretty much originally pagan you know, Easter is the one that's coming right up, of course. And that is, you know, the actual word Easter is from the Celtic goddess of the dawn Estra which is also where we get the term estrus, which is when the female goes into heat. And it is indeed a fertility festival, which is why even today they celebrate with eggs and bunnies, you know, and people always say, Well what have the eggs and the bunnies got to do with Christianity? Well absolutely nothing. What they have to do with is the earlier... Fertility. Uh, ...celebration. <laughs> yeah, of fertility. Yes. They're very obvious yeah. fertility symbols and still, yeah. and still used today. And, you know, spring, you know, again, it's, it's the, uh, the spring equinox is what's being... It's the closest uh, pagan holiday being celebrated, and that is the resurrection of the earth. You know, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, right. but um, the equinox is about the resurrection of the earth, the rebirth of, of nature as things, again, get green um, and flower. And The world comes dying, out the dying
0: god, the guy dying god, of course, is a god of uh, is a god usually a god of vegetation, and and uh, you know and is, so so yeah that that makes that makes good sense and and, uh,
1: right. um, and then, of course for Halloween you know that's our that's the day of the dead you know there the uh, uh, Spanish call it Dia de los Muertos and uh, you know our tradition calls it Sawan which is Celtic for summer's end. You know, it was the, end, the, uh, the very end of the harvest. It's when people used to kill the excess animals that they couldn't carry through the winter so that the smell of death would actually be there in the village. People used to carve um, big turnips, which are white, to look yeah. like skulls with candles in them, and, uh, and that was to scare off the spirits. They believe that the Halloween is the time where, and Halloween means spirit and ean means evening, so it's spirit evening. Uh, It was believed that the spirits could walk the earth because the veil between the worlds was thinnest at that time. But that might mean good spirits or bad, so they would do things to try and ward off the bad spirits. Now, even today when people go ducking for apples, that's a very common Halloween party item. But what that symbolizes is people going across the water to the Isle of Apples, which is how our ancestors thought of uh, the Island of the Dead. So the idea of trying to grab the apple without touching it with your hands. It was about your your hopes for immortality or your hopes for rebirth. It was a symbolic game originally. So yeah, all all these things you know come from uh, from these old old things. Christmas was Yule, which literally means the wheel. It was when the wheel of the year turned, and that's at the winter solstice, and that was the rebirth of the light, the rebirth of the sun god. Uh, originally, you know, if Jesus was indeed born at the at the Roman tax time, that would have been August, which of course, I think it's very appropriate that the King of Kings would be a Leo, but um, they shifted his birthday to be uh, within that span of Yule because that was when people were used to celebrating the birth of the God of Light and they were positioning Jesus to be the next God of Light. Yeah. So, all of these things, you know, they all have pagan eh precedence. Um,
0: and, of course, the pagans, uh, the pagans, uh, uh incorporated uh jesus as the last of the dying gods of the Ness- in the Nisaene document uh and and uh uh you know uh, he, he so so uh, he was direct descendant of, of osiris and, <laughs> and all the way down and and through a through a number of them anyway uh your other three books that you've written the heart of uh, the heart of the fire which i believe we we did review and and uh, white as bone, red as blood. This is a series of historical novels, and they're based on past lives. Now uh, that brings to mind Taylor Caldwell and and uh, Jack London, who both did the same. Uh, you know the, the the same thing. What method or combination of methods do you use to regress your memory to previous lifetimes? Can you share that with us?
1: um yes i've always had spontaneous memories of past lifetimes, starting when i was a small child which is no doubt how i ended up in this uh in this spiritual arena because that was something that was always part of my life even when i I, one of my earliest memories in this life was being about three and a half and saying oh i'm so glad we're rich now my parents were like oh honey we're not rich i said oh yes we are we look we have rug on the floor instead of dirt we eat meat every day and then I went and turned on the hot water. And I said, "Look, hot water whenever we want it. We're rich." Because I remembered a time where, you know, we'd had there uh, had there'd been a dirt floor, and sometimes we were hungry, and we had to walk a long way and pull water out of a hole in the ground. Now I didn't know that was a different life. I'm only member about three and a half at this point. I thought it was all the same thing, but I certainly thought that, you know, I was in an extremely wealthy situation all of a sudden, even though uh, from my parents' point of view, we were sort of the they are clinging to the very, very bottom of the middle class. Um, so so I've always had those memories, and that was one thing that drew me to witchcraft. Was, uh, it was a, another place where people had past life memories. But in order to get enough material for the books, what I do is I put myself into a trance state. I, for the first book, The Heart of the Fire, which is set about witchcraft in 16th century Scotland, one of my coven sisters would help me go into trance, and uh, we would both record it, and she would take some notes. She always called it going to the movies. She really loved it. And then from there, of course, I would write out, write down everything I said. And then, of course, to make it a good book, you have to rewrite it approximately a million times. So uh, then I learned how to do that for myself. I would put a trance tape on. So for the White as Bone, Red as Blood, the Fox Sorceress, and White as Bone, the Red as blo- Red as Blood, the Storm God, which are my two books set in 12th century Japan, uh, I used that trance tape to put myself into the space. And then, and then I would record onto another tape and then I would have the material, the raw material and work from there. Of course I also did research with you know with books um, in libraries trying to get as much information as I could and I also went to the areas where those lives had been and explored the you know the physical um, the physical places to see what that would generate in terms of uh, in terms of memory. Well, yeah, getting
0: getting back to the getting back to your uh, why do you say the skeptics make the best witches? Uh on mm-hmm. on uh, reincarnation uh, uh research uh, it it's usually the uh what starts me off it, it, it uh on that is is I I get a you know a, a, I get a intuition or a dream or whatever of a particular period and uh, and, and and you know an individual and then I then i uh you know i research it with the, with the with the pendulum and 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 to, to do a kind of an inductive thing and then and then uh you know i uh but i then what i really do is i, I research the period i dig into the history and 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 uh, uh because i i feel like there's so many people who don't who write these who write these uh, books you know uh, uh, the, the, who who claim that they're you know they and you can just tell if you know the history of the period and you read their book and you just know absolutely if you know the, if, if you really know the you know you know that they that they really not i mean they want to be, but they're not and and i I imagine you know having read your having read your uh, your your book on on Japan. I know you know what you're talking about, and you've done the research.
1: Would <laughs> right, you agree right, with that? doing the research is another yes. And doing the research is another thing that confirms it for me, because of course, especially with the Japanese books, I knew pretty much nothing. You know, in school I was taught nothing about 12th century Japan or much of any yeah. time of, of Japanese history. And yet, you know, I'd get these memories, and then I would research it, and I would find out, oh yeah, that battle happened exactly the way I remember it, and oh, this thing was that's right. oh, that's exactly the way I remembered it, and, and I would get chills and be like, oh gosh. I, I just don't know any other way I can be getting this information if I wasn't actually uh yeah. there. You know, there was something that came up when I was writing The Heart of the Fire, which is again set in sixteenth century Scotland, right. where I kept thinking that the village that I was in was Catholic, but I knew that Scotland was Protestant by that time. So I, I, well, I reason was why I asked that
0: I, Yeah, the reason why, why I, I asked you that and, and why why I'm mentioning the, the research is is that that uh because we both uh, we both share the same uh beliefs and the same you know the same ability uh that i, I just want to explain to our to our listeners that that you uh, in, in order to really do this successfully you really have to check yourself out with the with the actual history you can't just you can't just just assume well because i remember that it's got to be right uh you you, you it, it has to you, it has to match up and and one of the one of the one of the most disappointing things uh, that i that i found in this genre in this genre is the uh is one of these books on uh, uh the uh the life that, and there's no, there's a number of them on the life of on the life of jesus and and the people who write these these books some of them they they know they know, they know nothing of what was you know of, of, of what was going on in the holy Land at that time and uh, that uh, and I, and i'm not suggesting that I have i have written one but 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 i i at least i've done the research you know so i suppose if i if i thought i i i could i would but uh but no you got you you have to be you have to be a historian you 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 actually have to and and uh and then if it resonates then 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 you you know you you then you know what you're doing and and yours as i said i I uh, I think we even did a show. I, I believe we did a show on the Japanese uh one of yours, didn't we? Um
1: probably. If not we could Yeah, do I think it. We, we did. Do and I and I found that
0: book, you know, cuz I do know something about Japanese history uh having having uh, been a, you know, a, one of uh, Dr. Hatsumi's ninjas. I I I do know something about their history and that book really resonated with me. Um Oh,
1: uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I know people often, you know, the books also very much stimulate other people's past life memories, and that's really partly what I'm hoping that they'll do is to kind of wake people up to the fact that we we do have multiple lives, or at least so I believe, and that, um, and that people will often get very intense um, memories based on, you know, dipping into one of my books will start taking them back into their own lifetimes that might be at least somewhat similar. Often when people first start with, I also do a lot of past life work with other people. I take people on past life journeys. So, so I I also know that, you know, when people are, you know, yeah, when you're first getting that information, some of it may be overlaid with your childhood stuff. It might be, and yet, you know, like I will often, you know, take somebody to on a past life journey and they'll come back and they say, well, but you know, I've always been fascinated by that, that time in history. And I'm like, well, why do you think you're so fascinated with that time in history? <laughs> you know, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? If, if you have that fascination, there's, there's probably some kind of a reason for it. So it's it's well, it's good to explore it with skepticism, but also with openness to, huh, is that real? And let's look it up. Let's see how closely that that dovetails with what is known of the history of that period. Right. As I was saying, now, you know, that one that there was that one. Thing about me thinking that I'd been in a, a Catholic village, and then I was in Scotland researching, and my, one of my cousins happens to be a history teacher, and I mentioned this discrepancy to her, and she says, oh, whereabouts was the village? And I told her, and she said, oh, they're still Catholic there. They never changed. So sometimes you think you're wrong, and it turns out, well, actually, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now uh, would you, uh, talking
0: about the philosophy behind this, would you say that Wiccan belief now I'm you're going, to, you're going to speak for the craft what belief in reincarnation comes from the druids or from the Gnostics or perhaps a medieval synthesis of both traditions mm-hmm. now that, that that this is kind of a uh, you know, and I'm kind of—I may be leading you a little bit on this one, but let's let's—I I, you know—we know the Druids. You know, they're very very much into reincarnation, and and uh, and and so were the uh, you know so were the Valentinian Gnostics, and and uh, and uh, then of course there's a synthesis of both of these that in the in the medieval Cathars. Uh, now now uh, what 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 are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's where the Wiccan ter- Wiccan belief comes from?
1: I think probably the Wiccan belief goes back further, further than that. You know, that, that, you know, all of these things probably have an origin point far beneath, you know, far earlier than that. But I think really, and you see it all over the world, you know, in India, they believe in reincarnation. In Japan, they believe in reincarnation. You know, most pagan traditions have some variation on reincarnation. I think it really goes back to people's observing. Uh, you know the the cycles of nature that you know everything looks dead in the winter, and then spring comes and the green leaves come out and the flowers come out and and nature's reborn. And I think people just saw that, that all that life was cyclical, that there was birth and growth and death and then they and and then rebirth and that they simply assumed that the same applied to themselves as well. That everything else gets recycled, so why not the human soul or why not? Human consciousness. So I kind of suspect that the origins go way, way, way back into kind of dawn of human consciousness and human thought, and then achieve various forms of expression later on, as you say, through the Druids and the Gnostics and the Cathars and uh, you know all these all these various other um, traditions worldwide, which believe that we have many different times and many different um, expressions.
0: Well the ancient pagan irish were so uh were so much into it that they actually uh they actually could defer debts into the next time <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's very that's very funny and yeah and who knows karmically it may, it may have- war, uh worked out i know at one point I was taking people on a, a sacred sites tour of Scotland and we were able to go into the barrows you know these these old uh tombs and mm-hmm. do ritual inside inside the tombs and what, you really, what I really noticed about that was it was, the energy there was so sweet. You could tell that the people who made these were not afraid of death. It was just so it was peaceful and it was joyful and it felt really, really good to be there. And it was a very, you could feel it was just a tremendously different attitude um, towards death and dying. And down in those barrows and those tombs, one of the things they used to do is they would, they would bury people until the flesh had gone away and then they would take the skulls. And they would put candles inside the skulls. And they would do that with animal skulls too, foxes or uh, other animals. And then they would commune with the ancestors in those tombs. That's one of the rituals that they would, they would do. Again, that's where we get the, the lighted pumpkin for Sallin or the lighted turnip that was originally an actual skull. But the, the, this, the sense of death being just a, a very sweet sleep and a preparation for the next phase <coughs> Uh, I think is very strong in most pagan traditions, yeah. and certainly in the Celtic one. When you were 14 years old, you
0: uh, you you uh, did a an experiment in metamorphosis with caterpillars, <laughs> and you you put a couple of caterpillars in a in a in a big mason jar, made it sort of a natural to sort of a terrarium, and uh, <laughs> and you know this this I uh, when as I read this. And I realized that this was a natural model for the alchemical process that is described in the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz, which, of course, is one of the founding documents of the Rosicrucian tradition from the Renaissance. Um, Now... What 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 the 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 key to it was the two the heads of the caterpillars uh, down there in the bottom of the bottle you know when uh, the the two decapitated heads because in in the uh, chemical wedding the king and the queen are decapitated and then their and then their bodies are alchemically processed in a in in in, a, in, a, in an openanur which is kind of like the cocoon it's it's a uh, and, and and they they're chemically processed and then from that distillation and that essence two homunculi are cultured and they 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 are beautiful beautiful tiny replicas of the king and queen um, they're, but they're absolutely beautiful they're enchantingly beautiful and they and they grow, even as as the uh, as Christian Rosenkruz and the rest of the guests of the wedding are are watching me. They, they grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until they finally full size. And it's the king and queen, but they're reborn, regenerated, and reborn in this beautiful, beautiful form. Uh, and I and and what what you did with the with with the with your terrarium with the caterpillars, they. they to create their cocoons, and they became, you know, when the cocoons finally uh, 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 broke open, their butterflies came out. And and I thought when I when I read this, my gosh, some some old alchemist, maybe even Valentine Andrea, who wrote a book, uh, <laughs> must have must have done this and used this as a, as a because it's so it's so much like what's described metaphorically, what's described in the in a chemical wedding and and uh, I uh, you know I, I I was really just enchanted by this cuz I'm I'm d- doing a book right now that, that that involves the chemical wedding and I'm certainly going to going to have a footnote and and uh, and credits you and and and, and
1: uh, well, broth
0: from the cauldron <laughs> and and maybe I maybe I'll sell you a few books with a footnote but on this because <laughs> it it really it, it's obvious but uh the uh, and you also, you know, you related this in the metamorphosis chapter, you related this to to snakes shedding their skins. And mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to comment on the natural this this, this natural process mm-hmm. and the spiritual model mm-hmm. which counts for snakes being a spiritual symbol and, right. and, and uh and and and, and, and 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 I'd like to kinda of know what what went through your what what went through your mind mm-hmm. when you when you when you did this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Oh I, I, I think uh you know, you, you have an interesting point about, the, you know, probably other people observing that when the caterpillar turns into the uh, chrysalis, all, all the little caterpillar heads are left at the bottom, that all the, the heads, their heads fall off, because indeed the head of a caterpillar and the head of a butterfly look nothing like each other, and that the entire body of the caterpillar is going to dissolve and be reformed. So that is an obvious metaphor for transformation uh, although, also, I think the cutting off the head, I think tends to also uh, just be a metaphor for cutting off the, the intellect and the ego. You know, surrendering the intellect and the ego, and from there, um, growing into a more perfect, um, you know, spiritual format. But I, but I think that, that you're probably right, spot on, in thinking that some of those ideas came from, uh, again, our observations of nature and the observations of butterflies, which are a symbol of transformation. And as you point out, and as was also true in my chapter, snakes are also a, uh, a metaphor for transformation because of the way they shed their skin. And certainly people must have been kind of in awe to watch, watch a snake move and writhe and then slither out of its skin and look all beautiful and bright and and new once they had done that. So yes, I believe that um, their capacity to do that, again, makes them a metaphor for transformation. and That's one reason why they're very sacred in uh, Pagan traditions. Um, I yeah. think also sometimes their venom was used to create trance states that, you know, priestesses would use the snake venom to go into a predictive state, much like the oracles at Delphi would use the toxic fumes wafting up from the earth there to go into uh, those predictive states. So I think that's another another feature. And then I think also their phallic appearance certainly is a very common belief in Europe that snakes open to the earth to receive the seed, and given that snakes have a phallic appearance to them, I'm thinking that that was also um, another thing that made made them very precious uh, to our ancestors and made our ancestors feel that they were sacred on, on many levels. Now, your
0: chapter on people's misperception <laughs> based upon the emperor's new clothes... And we all remember the story of the emperor's new clothes. You know that that they mm-hmm. they uh, his uh, the, his clothier told him that, that they were so fine that, that 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 they were transparent. So so he was going around naked, and everybody said, oh and, and saw the emperor's new clothes, even though he was nude. And 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 you know in this case, you you mentioned your dog's misidentification as a seal while he was swimming in the ocean. Uh, and it's this important observation on human behavior because people often see what they expect to see or what they have been told to see rather than what they really do see. Now, do you think that others would have mistaken for a seal if the first to see him had not shouted, look, it's a seal. What do you think
1: about that? Well, I think that's a good, that's a good question, but I think, you know, again, my my little dog at the time was probably a, a Cocker Spaniel Terrier mix. She was pure black. She loved to swim out beyond the waves. And when her, when her ears were plastered to the side of her head, the shape of her head was very much like a seal. And, of course, all that they could see of her was like from the shoulders up, which is about what you would see of a swimming seal as well. So I can imagine more than one person making that mistake. You're looking in the ocean. You expect to see an ocean animal. You don't expect to see a land animal. So there's that prep of it's in this ocean, it must be something that I know lives there. But I think yeah. what was more interesting in that situation is that, you know, once various adults were saying it was a baby seal and believing it was a baby seal, even when I said no, that's my dog, they did not believe me. Now you might think a child might know their own dog <laughs> but yeah, right. by that time but, but but at that point they were very invested in their perception of it being a baby seal to the point where they were ignoring the expert, the person who knew the dog, (laughs) and saying, no, that can't be a dog, it's a seal. So I think that's where I think we have to look at at ourselves as humans and and human nature and say, oh, often we are so invested, as you say, in our perception that we won't hear hear the truth (laughs) from a person who actually knows it because we've just got a very strong idea about um, what we what we expect, and so we often miss a great deal. All of us do this; it's just part of the human condition. We we miss a great deal of what we. Yeah, this is a very because interesting because uh, human yeah.
0: phenomenon uh, that uh, that some people, that, that stage magicians and, and others, have taken advantage of. Uh, right, you know, what say, they
1: call misdirection. But
0: but as I say, you're you're uh, the. Uh, uh, and I, I, I resonated on the idea that the first uh, the first person to, to see your dog uh, called out and said, "Look, it's a seal," and then other people were, you know, uh, looked uh, looked following what he had said and following, and, and, and he's pointing. And this reminded me of a of a of a incident when my my that my father told me. My father was in law school. And 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 his uh, his his fellow students and the law to, and and the, and, the, and the professor they arranged to rob a bank and with Hello, a banana. Then. No, they did. They, 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 they got and they got the bank guards and and the the manager and and all the uh, tellers to go along with it, and the police department and everything. And so what they did, they they came in the bank and and uh, and this. Uh, one of the law students uh, pulled a, this banana out of his trench coat and said, "This is a stick-up." And the, the guards backed backed away with their hands up, and the tellers all, and, you know, you know, backed backed up, mm-hmm. and, and everybody in the bank backed up and put their hands up.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then,
0: you know, after after they got all the fake money and, and left, then the same students came back in uh, as as detectives. And interviewed the uh, interviewed the people in the bank, and the, uh, the, the 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 people said that oh well yeah they, no it was a forty five automatic and they all agreed that it was a, that it was an automatic pistol that the guy had but it was a banana and they couldn't agree on whether it was nickel plated or whether it was blue but they all they all were sure that it was a forty five <laughs> and you know and this is right. and. and, and yeah, yeah. this is the way people, they see what they want to see, you know, and, and, and they see what they're told to see. That's why I was thinking when I read your account here that, 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 that it, it was very, that the, the first guy to see the dog uh, identified it as a seal and then everybody else looked and they saw a seal.
1: Right, and of course one of the factors there was a man, you know, identified the dog as a seal in a very authoritative voice. So when the when the child, the girl child says no, it's not a seal, it's a dog. No one listens yeah. to the child. What could a child possibly know? And that's one of the things that I, you know, that's one of the reasons I brought up the Emperor's New Clothes because in that in that story, it is a little girl who, who la- starts laughing and says the emperor is naked. And that when she says yeah. that, then suddenly people realize that the emperor really is naked. And and so that's it's that thing of let's you know let's be willing to hear the truth regardless of the source. Regardless of the source, that maybe you think this child is too young and immature to know, but maybe the very freshness of their vision, their beginner's mind, as the, as the Buddhists call it, is precisely what is needed in a situation to actually see what the truth but, is.
0: But uh, yeah, but when you told them it was your, it was a dog, it was your dog, and and and, and they didn't believe you, but they did, but they but they were still following what the, the what the first guy said, and and. Uh, so the the little girl that, that that realized that the emperor was naked she she uh that, you know uh, uh she must have she, she must have uh, had had some kind of psychic power in order to do that because she she broke through their their delusion and uh and that and yeah the uh you know I'm, I, I I'm uh, um I'm very uh fascinated too with the with the the chapter the, the Z stands for Zorro, uh, with the raccoons, <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and the interesting thing about the, this to me was that the raccoons that you described in the story, that they, they were the exact reverse of the hundred monkey theory potato washing of the macaques. If you've ever heard about that, I don't know. <laughs> oh yes, but, of course. But, uh,
1: yeah, very well known. Uh, yeah,
0: that's it. the The raccoons, uh, the raccoons. Uh, Tell us about the raccoons and the and and their oh. potato and, and their their potato washing
1: strange experience yeah well what? that would have been a oh oh you are you talking about the washing the washing one with zorro um yeah that uh, my when my I was a teenager my family was in upstate New York at that point, and my father knew some folks who had i guess they had had a tree cut down on their property and there had been a raccoon nest in the tree and one of the baby raccoons had been killed but the other two were alive so he agreed to take one and he built a cage on the outside of our house because we didn't want to domesticate the raccoon we just wanted to raise it safely to adulthood and free it so we didn't want to get it used to humans and having it indoors with us so so there was a cage on the side of the house and uh, we would bring the raccoon uh, in addition to the the kibble you know cat kibble which of course he likes very much but we'd also bring him things like corn that he could open and and little crayfish and things like that that he could learn to hunt, and uh, that uh, at, at one point, uh, my my father decided to give him. Our, we named our raccoon Zorro because of his mask. We decided to give him a sugar cube to see what he would do. Because this little guy, even though he had never been taught by his mother, he instinctively washed very carefully everything that he ate in his water dish. So he wanted to see what would happen if he gave him a sugar cube. So he gave him a sugar cube, and Zorro, you know, goes over to the water dish and he's washing and washing, and then. And then he's patting all around the dish because, of course, the cube has vanished. And then my father gives him a second cube and the same thing. He goes and he washes and washes and then he's patting all around because the cube is gone. And my father gave him a third cube. And Zoro looked at the cube and he looked at the water and he looked at the cube and he looked at the water and you could see him just trembling with you know, as his instincts were warring with his intelligence. And finally, he just squished the cube through the water and popped it in his mouth. And my father was full of admiration. He was like, wow, only three tries. <laughs> only three tries. And... And this guy figures out how to manage a sugar cube, and I was using that as a as a way to compare that that, that animals will will look for a solution, and that humans often will get again so stuck in their perception, so stuck in their 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 initial concept of something that they can't figure out a way out of it, or a compromise, or a recognition that well this this thing is not like any other thing. The sugar cube isn't like an ear of corn. It's not like kibble. It's not like any other substance, and you have to treat it differently. So I was kind of using that just yet you know, to talk about how 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 animals are sometimes somewhat superior to humans in being able to quickly shift gears into another way of looking at things. Whereas humans, we get very attached to uh, whatever you know, whatever we believe. You know, we we get very attached to our political party or this opinion or that opinion. And then we don't really receive any information that counters that from another viewpoint. Well, I kind of wonder,
0: and, and, and uh, you're recounting that. I'm, I kind of wonder if, if, uh, if there wasn't, uh, if if all, if all raccoons do this, uh, or, or many raccoons do this. Uh, was there a genius raccoon who originally started washing things and then and then that communicated to the rest of the raccoons you see you know, you, you you know about the uh, about the macaques and the 100 uh, and the 100 right. monkey theory right. i imagine Right right uh you know there yeah. was this uh uh there was this uh, uh island off the coast of japan and and uh there was all you know, these macaques were on the island and and they were being fed with potatoes and, and and the people who were caring for them would throw the potatoes on the beach and 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 they'd get all the potatoes get sand on them, and the monkeys would eat them, and it was ruining their teeth and then finally, one little female monkey and she was a lady monkey she she uh started washing her potatoes and 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 once she started washing her potatoes, then uh, then pretty soon the rest of the monkeys started washing their potatoes, and then and then the monkeys on another island started washing their potatoes, and so all the monkeys on uh, in, in, in for a hundred miles around started washing their potatoes, and this is called the hundred monkey theory, and and uh, and. Uh, and this 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 reminds me of it. So I'm wondering if raccoons just naturally do this, or if there if there wasn't a genius raccoon who started them washing food.
1: Well, at this uh, point they naturally do it. But I think that's a good point that it may have made, you know somewhere yeah. back in ancient ancient raccoon lore, there's a story of the first raccoon who started doing this. At this point, like I say, they all do it instinctively, but. I think that's a good point. That at some point it was probably an evolutionary leap of some sort.
0: Raccoons are some raccoons are ferociously intelligent. I know I have them all around my place, and uh, it, yeah, there's another story that you have about uh, the raccoons uh, that do the diversionary, uh, uh, you know, yeah. attack when you're out camping. But you tell us that, <laughs> recount that one. That yes, that's sir. fascinating. <laughs> Very.
1: That was a very shocking story to us. Um, we, uh, my husband and I, uh, had uh, you know arrived at a camping place in the Big Basin in uh, Northern California, and we were we were quite hungry, so we just opened up the trunk and put some food on the picnic table and uh, started eating. But then we heard this terrible, ferocious growling coming out from the bushes, and these two huge raccoons rolled out from the bushes, apparently locked in mortal combat, and they just keep rolling closer and closer to the table like they don't even know we're there. And we're, of course, starting to think, oh, my God, are they rabid? You know, they have no fear. They're, you know, they're, they're very fierce. You know, we're, we're, we're watching them with some anxiety. And finally, we hear a sound from the other direction, and we look towards our car, and there's a raccoon on the bumper of the car, and he is lifting food out of one of the, our, our shopping bags, and he's handing it to a raccoon below him, who's handing it to the raccoon next to him. There's a bucket brigade of raccoons, at least six raccoons, Emptying stuff out of our trunk as fast as they can. When we jumped up and yelled, "Hey!" All, the, all those raccoons ran off, and of course the so-called fighting raccoons broke up their fight and ran off. And we realized that they had actually staged a diversion in order to steal yeah. everything from our cars, and that we had completely <laughs> fallen for it. This, <laughs> we did not feel very. I'm so wondering. I'm, how I'm how wondering how if did. the
0: two uh, if the two raccoons that were calling, that you thought were fighting. I'm wondering if they might—they might not have been making love because uh, when raccoons uh, when, when raccoons have uh, have, congr- have sexual congress, it, it, it seems like a battle. I had I had two of them. I had two big forty pounders, male and female, uh, actually actually having sex in my swimming pool. And this was at oh, ten o'clock God. at night yeah. at ten o'clock at night, and they're 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 screaming and snarling and and splashing around and I went out with a flashlight and and here they are in the pool, you know, and they're and they're they're in in flagrante delecto oh my <laughs> and and I chased them off across the bridge and <laughs> oh i mean i did they really it, it it uh they they were like they were killing each other you know and 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 yet mm-hmm. they, that that's that's uh Oh boy! <laughs> uh, yeah. Raccoons are fascinating. Yeah, well, I think,
1: yes, I think in this case they were just pretending to fight so as to freak us out and make us wash them. While the others emptied out uh, most of a bag of groceries from our from our truck, so so uh, it was very unnerving to realize that they somehow had enough powers of co- of uh, communication to actually make a a, a a very complicated plan of of that nature, and it really made us you know reconsider everything you know in our culture we're we're led to believe that animals are less intelligent than we are and that they don't have the ability to make those sorts of plans and we had to realize that actually there was a lot more intelligence going on uh, that we were the ones who were the dumb ones in that situation and it was a humbling experience
0: yeah they 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 have they 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 have, they have strategies and and, and uh and well, like that, the that the that, 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 that diversion that they caused and, and and all that, that that that's fascinating. I I you know as I say what I what I they, they are they are kind of you know destructive. So especially when they get inside the house and and you know they can uh, but but uh, I I I get them I I, I get them in the humanitarian traps and then and then take them to another <laughs> take them up the canyon and turn them loose. So I have mm-hmm. but, 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 but I, I, but I, you know, I love them, but I, but I, but I, but I don't want to live with them, you know, especially because mm-hmm. I, I had a cat. I, I had a, you know, uh, uh one of my old Tom cats, uh, he's passed away, but, but he got into it with one of my, one of my raccoons and he did not fare well. Oh, I mean, he almost lost oh, his no. scalp. And, and so oh. I, 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 I re, I, I relocate the, the raccoons. I, uh, but mm-hmm. I use a humane trap. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hurt them. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, of 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 animals, um, I was fascinated with your with, with your shark your shark story. Um mm-hmm. and I had a similar experience with a uh, with a shark, but uh, your your shark story and then on the Big Island, I think that uh, where yes. were you mm-hmm. with the white tip? And, right, and, uh, right. 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 You want to tell yeah,
1: us it was about that? An experience When I was snorkeling, uh, and uh, I was kind of hanging out over a very large sea turtle that was on the bottom, on the sandy bottom, and then a, a very large white tip about seven and a half feet long, so probably an oceanic rather than a reef shark, um, came very slowly moving underneath me between me and the turtle. And, um I was a little nervous about it because, well, it had a very large head and I knew that it had a very large head that meant it had a very large mouth. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, of course, well, you know, they, you know, they almost never attack. The white tips don't usually attack, but of course, when they do, it's always from below. And he was probably thinking, well, those humans almost never attack, but when they do, it's always from above. And, uh, you know, he was moving very, very slowly and then he kind of sauntered off into the, into the water and, I more recently had an even more frightening experience with a, a very big tiger shark, like a 12-foot tiger shark in that same bay. So, um, Well, they are it, dangerous. dangerous. Sharks, tiger sharks kill more
0: people than white sharks.
1: Yeah, a tiger shark could be a problem. So I, I did have a little bit of a, a problem with one of those recently. I mean, in that case, I had swum very far out towards almost the mouth of the bay because I saw the dolphins out there that I like to swim with. and and I got out there, and the dolphins just evaporated. I mean, they just disappeared so quickly, faster than I've ever seen. And and I thought, well, why are they going away so fast? And so I was making all my interesting sounds that the dolphins usually like to try and get them back. And I started having this image flashing in front of my, in my mind of a shark attacking a man. And it was something I never worry about. And so I was like, gosh, you know, just stop that. You know they're telepathic. If you have that image, they're not going to come. So I keep making my sounds, and the image keeps flashing. And finally I was like, well okay, they're not coming back, and so I turned around to go back and just directly lined up, you know, about 30 feet below, down and directly in line with my body was a 12-foot tiger shark. And I was like, oh, the dolphins are sending me the pictures. <laughs> you know? and, and I suddenly realized that was why it was so strange to keep having this flashing single image instead of a story. It was because they were trying to, you know, warn me off um but i i just again swam i swam very slowly you know towards the edge of the bay where it was a little more shallow it was steep it would have been very hard for me to get out because it was all cliffs a bit in that area um but i very you know i got to where it was a little more shallow and then just swam slowly slowly back but i definitely did not like the fact that he was directly lined up with me um yeah. That's a big bay. <laughs> uh, the, the, so, yeah, I, swam, I swam. I swam up under.
0: I I I swam up under a 14 foot hammerhead one time, and uh, uh, it got oh, under the shark. Me. And 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 uh-huh. and uh, it, 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 you talk about a mouth. I mean that that animal had a mouth yeah. that was uh, that was that was wider than than my. <laughs> it looked like it was wider than my arm spread. I mean, it was just, and he, he was, he, he, yeah. he just, he Here. just went over me and, and, and he went over me and it was like that opening scene in Star Wars with that big, that, that big destroyer, you know, goes over your head. That yeah. <laughs> <Right>. was <laughs> what it was like. And I, and, and I, I turned around and, and, and then swam back to this cage light and got up inside this cage light. And I came up, I came up and got the mouthpiece out of my mouth and, and, Shouted over to my uh, my buddy in the boat, and I said, "Pull up the anchor, get over, start the motor, get over here and get me! I'm not moving."
1: <laughs> yeah, reasonably enough. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and uh,
1: had, like a shark cage, like a protective shark cage that you could re- you could retreat to. Is that what you're talking about? What? You're Saying you went to a cage. was there like a shark cage? That you could go and be protected. Well, I mean, that
0: uh, no, no. Uh, this, this was a this was a cage light. It was a it was just a bunch of you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of timbers uh, in a sort of a teepee with a with a light of, with a light on the top of it, and and I got uh-huh. inside it, and then I oh, got I inside see. it, and that was pretty good protection, especially from that from that hammerhead. I mean, yeah. he, he could, uh-huh. with, with his hammer, he couldn't get in there, and then uh, uh-huh, you know. Yeah. The, but uh, but it, it uh, you know I it was a it was a kind of a nightmarish experience, you know, being under the damn thing and, and, and having his having his head having him go over the top of me like that. But anyway, I really appreciated as I say your 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 diving adventures and and also the dancing with the dolphins was delightful too. You had the, you had the dolphins uh, 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 circling around you and playing with you, and, and that that mm-hmm. that that's a fascinating chapter.
1: Yeah, I love the dolphins. They're, I I really think they have a very uh, unusual form of intelligence that we we can't even begin to really really grasp. Yeah. I can feel more, more recently when I'm with them, I, I feel that they're doing something to my brain. I don't know what it is, but it feels good. It feels like they're trying to trying to they're sending yeah, me some kind of a vibration. Yeah,
0: I had Go ahead. a. A very short career training dolphins, and I got myself uh, I got myself fired from my from my job by feeding by by feeding this poor pup that that, that my boss was starving. And I don't think a lot of people mm. don't realize this, but but it training dolphins, they they, they the, a lot of these trainers they starve the poor animal That's by kills. by feeding you know by feeding them they won't feed them. You know, they just cut. Mm. Well, they feed them, but 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 they cut, but they cut the fish, you know, in half. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, and then try to force the dolphin to eat cut bait. And with this, this poor pup we had was was. You could actually see his bones, you know, through through his through his skin. Mm-hmm. He was he was, he was That's starving, terrible. and and I and finally I finally uh, uh started feeding him whole fish, and they fired me.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Terrible.
0: Uh, I
1: felt it's so, so sorry for the poor
0: animal, you know. I mean, I I, I, I couldn't starve him, I, you know. I, I, and I tried to save a whale one time who wanted to commit suicide. One of these beast whales, you know, and they got him in the mm-hmm. tank, and I and he kept he wanted he wanted he wanted to ram he wanted to ram his 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 head and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and you know and he was he was he was bound determined to die. And and I and oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the water with this with this whale trying to save him, trying to keep him from killing himself. And I and I couldn't mm-hmm. succeed. He was he you know he was he was too big. He was too big for me. So so I guess that I'm I guess I'm a kind of a softy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I was it was it, it, it was a shame to see him. You know, a, a, and he seemed to be healthy. I don't think there was anything wrong with him. But but he he just he just wanted to, he just wanted to, wanted to die. And uh, well, mm-hmm. maybe he just didn't want to be in captivity too. That—that's also. Speaking mm-hmm. of that, uh, I thought that story of yours about the uh, the elephant and the rhinoceros with the peanuts. And you want to tell us about that? I'm
1: um, sure. Do we do we have time? I know we're getting close to the end here. Are we good? Yeah, we're getting close to the. But but you know, okay. I uh, that
0: i okay. uh, this book is so fascinating. Uh, and, and as I say, with, with, I've, you and I have had so many similar experiences. I just hope other people will enjoy it as much as I'm in, as I've enjoyed it as you enjoyed writing it. Your, your insights on nature and people are just wonderful. But the business about the, the jealous rhinoceros, you know, I, I thought that was a, mm-hmm. that was a delightful mm-hmm. story. Tell us about that. We we can we can sure. run over a little bit, you know, okay. uh, over okay. over okay. nine Clark. Go ahead.
1: All right well uh, my husband and I were at the uh, Los Angeles Zoo and we were feeding peanuts to an elephant which was taking them with its trunk you know and uh, and then we heard this high-pitched terrible squeaky sad sound and we look around and it was the rhinoceros and we could hardly believe that this huge massive you know tank-like animal is making this high-pitched sorrowful little squeak and and he, he he's, he's, he's feeling... So he was obviously feeling very sad that the the elephant got all the attention and no one was was paying attention to the rhinoceros. So so we went over there and uh, you know it was a little inti- rhinoceros just look a little intimidating, right? I mean you know you, you think about them knocking over a, a safari jeep and squashing it, you know. Um, but I put you know I I took a the, the the rhinoceros looked so sad and was making this sad little squeak and and so I put my hand through the through the wire with some peanuts on it and he very softly tiptoed over as as gently as he could trying not to scare me and took the peanuts and he was uh he, he was so happy uh and eventually I started scratching his face and, and he gave just a very happy little sigh but finally someone was paying attention to him and it, it was um you know, kind of my my conclusion from that was, you know, sometimes it show, pays to show your vulnerability. That, you know, this, this big scary-looking animal. You know, he wanted love, he wanted attention, he wanted uh, he wanted peanuts, he wanted all the good things in life, and and uh, he asked for it. You know, by by making himself very be very vulnerable, and so it was a very a very tender uh, tender experience.
0: Let us. Let us, however, put a disclaimer on this the, the, this one. We are not trying to encourage no. uh people to uh to to stick their hands through the cages and feed no. animals in the zoo Absolutely not. And, and, Absolutely you know not. The, no, no, I, the, I, I the, you were really, you were you were probably lucky on that one with the rhinoceros that you found a very very kind rhinoceros and a very sympathetic, <laughs> you know a very sensitive rhinoceros <laughs> yes. and that and that that's fine but 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 we're not trying to encourage yes. people to do that. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I, I agree. If people do an awful lot of yeah, really things, let's, let's don't 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 try it. Yeah, yeah,
0: Don't do this at home. Yeah, don't, don't do this at, at your zoo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now there's one one more uh, yeah, uh story that that I would like to discuss because it's a it's a place we have both been and that's the uh the seven sacred pools at uh on Maui uh down by Hana. And and you had the that's where you had the the Hawaiian ghost story.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I was just a little yeah, a little south of there. Um but yeah, we my husband and I were were in Hawaii on Maui and um we had taken the, the the back road, which turns out not to be an actual road, which is why they say if you have a rental car, you can't go on it, because uh, it's really not even hardly a, a very passable dirt road, but we, at, the, at least at that time, which was 1980, maybe. It may be quite a bit different now, probably is, but at that point, um, it took us a very long time to get to the campground, and we found out the campground was closed. And at that time, it was night. We, we just couldn't drive any further, and so we camped out on the beach, and we started hearing a little child crying in the jungle behind us. And we had not seen a house or passed another car for hours. I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere. So we, we went out in the in the in the jungle with our flashlight saying, Come here, come here, we'll help you, we'll help you And this little kid is just crying and crying and, and we're going deeper and deeper, you know, looking for this lost child and then suddenly we start hearing a whole family crying and sobbing. Like five or six people and we're like, Oh shit you know, like well, come here, come here, we'll help you, we'll help you. But there's no answer except for all the cries and the sobs. And, and then we, we we keep waving our flashlights, and then, then there sounds like there's 15 people, 20 people. And it went on and on until it sounded like there was 100 people crying and screaming. And we just backed out of that forest very, very fast. And we're just like, what, you know, my husband's like, well, do you think it's a practical joke? And I was like, 100 people just hang out in the forest in case somebody comes by? I was <laughs> like, well, I don't, I don't think so, no um but we were just completely flabbergasted and and of course terrorized by the ongoing sounds of crying and screaming but we just kind of stayed there all night we kind of realized it couldn't possibly be real there can't really be a hundred people in the middle of nowhere so we you know we tried to ignore it and sleep through it we didn't really succeed and then um, as dawn came, you know, the, the noise got less and less, you know, from 100 people to 80 people to 70 people, you know, down to the five or six people, and then and then it all vanished when dawn came. And we dragged our sleeping bags back to the car, and then we saw the historical marker that we had missed because it was dark when we came in, saying that on this site, you know, King Kamehameha had killed uh, and his men had slaughtered a village of 100 men, women, and children such and such a year, and we're like, Okay, wait. <laughs> we didn't believe in ghosts, so so we were at that time. So we were pretty um, pretty amazed. I had no idea what to, what to think about that.
0: We're gonna uh, wrap this up pretty quick. We finished uh, talking about the Maui ghost story, right. and uh, you know, as I said, I, I've been to the same park. I did want to say this though. You know, the historical marker thing. When I was uh, at Pearl Harbor, I found uh, the historical marker for my my home submarine that used to sail out of my harbor at, at, in St. Pete, Florida, and uh, and it, it had been sunk in the in the in the in the in the Philippines, and it, I broke down and cried because when I was a kid, I used to crawl all over that boat, and and you know, and oh, wow. found that mm-hmm. historical. I found that historical marker, and that, that was my my Hawaiian historical marker that that I had in my mm-hmm. experience. Anyway, I had so much. I so much enjoyed having you having you on on tonight with this wonderful book that you've written. I need to write a book like this and you've given me a wonderful model for writing a book like this myself and I hope when I get it done that you can review it. And uh Good let's one. keep in touch. Now before we sign off to tell the listeners mm-hmm. about where it's going to be, uh mm-hmm. how they can get the book and uh give, give it the websites and all and, and everything. So will you go ahead and repeat okay. all that?
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh, So the the title of the book is Broth from the Cauldron, A Wisdom Journey Through Everyday Magic. It's uh, my magical memoir, kind of a Wiccan soup for the soul. It's being uh, published by She Writes Press. It'll be out May 12th. You can pre-order it from Amazon or you can pre-order it from your bookstore if your bookstores will be open by then. Um, Right now we're pretty much getting things online. You could probably order it from a number of other online Areas You can also uh, place an order through my website. That's www.caradwinfallingstar.co, not .com, but .co. Uh, You can also get to the website through uh, www.theheartofthefire.com. In that case, it is .com. So either one of those will take you onto the website, and you can just click a button, and it will take you right to Amazon where you can order. There's also a... uh, a giveaway happening through Goodreads right now, where they're giving away some of these books. So uh, that'll also tell you how to uh, how to get in line uh, for some free books as well. And I'd like to mention
0: before we close, as you had reminded me, that uh, Kerwin is 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 also featured in Lady Joe Carson's uh, uh, Dancing with Gaia, that wonderful uh, video that uh, uh, that Lady Joe produced. Uh, i i think that's com but but i'm not sure anyway google ferreria and 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 they it'll take you there and you you can get the uh, d- dancing and gaia and and meet lady joe and and falling star and anyway thank you so much for coming on lady Kerwin. and thank uh you. we'll see you again and next week we'll be back with another hermetic hour and until then everybody out there good magic